welcome to another episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, Peter Parker gets spectacular. Deathstroke takes on some familiar foes. We get wild with Warren Ellis. And we finally meet the Super Sons. Stay tuned for all this and more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. You know my voice. I'm David. I was. I've just. I pause now instinctively for Nick to interrupt me, but he's just sitting there, stone-faced, just watching me. It's very unsettling. Uh oh. Oh, now all the sounds are playing because I. I mess things up again. Nick, how are you? <laughs> hey, David. I'm doing fine. I just. You I'm know, not, I wait. I wait for the cues because I don't make any decisions on my own. I'm not so. having a mental breakdown. You're and, having a mental breakdown, Nick. I don't need this attitude from you. David, I'm not even real. That no one actually listens to this podcast. It is just you recording, thinking you're talking to someone else, and then it gets put in a dumpster. That would explain so, so many things. Put in a dumpster? I'm recording an audio file. That you then put on a tape and put it... I don't know how technology works, man. I'm only 28. Uh, Nick, we're old. We're old. Oh, man. Have you accepted that fact into your heart? That I'm pushing the old three O. No. Yeah. Yeah. That we my are. My heart. I'm still a fetus. Oh, that's dis- that's disgusting. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I have no way to recover from that. No, there is no way. Uh, Nick, Nick, you're a disgusting human being. I think we need to like just get that out in the air. People need to ex- hear that and accept it. You have to own your truth, Nick. Own your truth. <sighs> the truth is, David. I love comic books. Yeah, okay, that's boring. Tell us about this uh, whole, like, fetus fantasy you're having. Well, it, it starts with, and, and clearly it's it's erotic. I just want to throw that out there. Right, that goes without, I, think that, I think that much goes without saying. Yeah, but I'm, I'm literally a fetus. You know, visualize a little goo thing, okay. and that's me. Visualizing and I, it. I just... You know, fetus. I, I don't. I have no idea where to take this into uh, a place. I, you know, I remember. It doesn't I, make me uncomfortable with myself. I remember a few episodes ago where you were like, "David, do some improv right now. Do some improv," and I was like, "Oh man, I can't just like jump into that. I got to warm up." And now here you are, like trying to do some improv, and it's not working out for you, is it, Nick? Is it? Huh? 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 What's that? Your your high horse is dying beneath you. I don't, we, I don't feed my high horse ever. And so, we will I mean, the, and we will now cut it up and and use its meat to survive this dark night that is our friendship. <laughs> One of these days, dude, I'm gonna go watch you do improv and You're gonna love every it. second of it. You're gonna be like, I when was wrong. Me, when they ask the audience for ideas, I'm gonna come up with things specifically for you to make you squirm. Like what? Go for it. Try to make me squirm right now. Uh, pretend to act like a. First of all, first uh, of all, you have no idea what improv is like because you aren't like, give us a full sentence suggestion. It's like, can we get a word? 
Um, proctologist. It's a stupid word. <laughs> no, actually, in, in improv, because you'd think, a lot of people think like, oh, they're asking for a word. I better be real funny if I said penis. You know, the male anatomy thing, penis. Because <laughs> then it's like, well, we can't, like the joke is that you said a dirty word. We can't do like a scene based on penis. So we'll do like one scene and then it'll be like, okay, can we get another word, please? Because that was stupid. Let's just be honest with ourselves. People. So vagina. Yeah. No. See, it'd be better if you were like, like pillow. Cause I could do like, I could do a lot of stuff. Out there. I'm not gonna do anything right now. Cause I know you're going to try to back me into a corner. I but am I'm trying to back if, you in the corner, very was, astute. If I was properly, promptly warmed up, properly warmed up with uh, with my teammates around me who also had ideas, and you threw out the word pillow, we could, you know, we could be like at a sleepover, a couple chums at a sleepover who reveal a horrifying secret. Uh, th- that's just like the first idea that came right. Like, there's a lot of stuff you could do with with pillow. First up, first up, before we get into what we're, everyone wants us to actually start talking about. By the time we stopped doing sleepovers, we never called each other chums. Nick, I don't first think the word chum was ever used in the sleepover vernacular. Uh, just want to make that clear. I so if you've been having sleepovers, post appropriate sleepover age. What's 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 appropriate? What's that's the far end of appropriate I know, sleepover I, age? I was definitely one of those kids though that like liked doing sleepovers with friends. So I definitely, I probably pushed it to a lot later, like age 27, than, than most kids would do. But, but, okay, in all reality, I don't even remember when I stopped doing sleepovers. But it definitely was one of those things where it was like, what do you mean I'm, I mean, I guess they kind of stopped by like middle school, you know, maybe high school. I guess sometimes in high school. But when you get to college, it's just like, I'm an adult, like, come over and. I'm going to sleep on that couch. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you don't call it a sleepover anymore. No, it's just like, hey, you need to leave my house. That's yeah, is what that's called. That's what that game yeah. is. But um, while everyone's clearly falling asleep, why don't we quietly and covertly transition into the news? The news. Our top story today: <laughs> After a disappointing <laughs> summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. All right, so. Coming off the news, we got some hot stuff coming off the presses. The first one is that Chip Zdarsky, writer of, I think, I think pretty much just Howard the Duck, right? That's memory serves. He started with Howard the Duck. Nothing before is, that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he's done anything before that. He he is either it's finished or it's on hiatus. He was doing an image book called Zap Zaptara, mm-hmm. but I, I believe that also came out post Howard the Duck. Right. So Howard so Howard the Duck, beginning of Chip Zdarsky as a human being. Uh but he has now teamed up with Adam Kubert to bring Peter Parker back to basics in a new number one coming in June as a companion to the regular Spider Man book. Nick, give us the deets. Well, for those that also don't know, Chip Zdarsky is the artist on Sex Criminals with Matt Fraction, Sex a fairly Criminals. popular image comic. Um, and yes, uh, he did some stellar work on Howard the Duck with Joe Canonis, and he's currently doing great work with on Star-Lord with Chris Anka. Um, I think, for 
from the earliest issues of Howard the Duck where they would feature Spider-Man in small roles. One, the fact that like Aunt May became like an assistant to Howard the Duck was great, but also the moments where like Spider-Man thought Howard was dead and he just react in these very overly dramatic like setting up a a shrine to Howard, a memorial because he thinks Howard's Howard's dead, just playing up the whole how Peter feels guilty when people die around him thing. Um, so obviously he never really expanded Peter's character beyond some, you know, gags in that book. But obviously Howard the Duck, Howard the Duck certainly isn't Spider-Man, but he showed that not only does he have comedy, you know, chops with the humor, but at the same time he knows how to raise the stakes, or at the very least, even the stakes are silly and ridiculous, he knows how to make you feel for them. And Spider-Man is a book that obviously has to be able to handle humor with high stakes. So even though this book, the the basic premise of this book is that it takes Peter Parker back to basics a bit, whether or not he's still like a CEO or nothing that hasn't been revealed yet. I know that the upcoming Amazing Spider-Man storyline deals with the quote-unquote fall of Parker Industries. What that really ends up doing, who knows? But this, supposedly this book is going to feature Peter in New York doing his web-slinging, hanging with his his supporting cast. So it's it's, it's more grounded. Um, but obviously with Chip Zdarsky... Nothing is as, as it seems, so I'm expecting fun stuff. Adam Kubert, of course, is artist extraordinaire. He's worked on probably every character at this point, or drawn at least drawn every character from both of the big two. Mm-hmm. He's Adam Kubert. If you don't like his style, <laughs> you're probably not going to like it now. If you like it, it'll be right. Um, you know, it'll be good. I think he did that Spider-Man Wolverine crossover, Astonishing Spider-Man Wolverine that Jason Aaron wrote. Um and that was very good. Anyway, he he's perfect for Spider-Man. So we will see how that all plays out. But yeah, cool. Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, is on the way. So keep an eye out for that if yeah. those are the kind of ingredients you enjoy. Yeah, and you can get the first taste of this book, uh, Free Comic Book Day, coming up May 6th. It's a special uh, 10-page story from Chip Zdarsky. Uh, but it seems like it won't be Adam Kubert art. It'll be uh, Paolo Sakira. Probably, yeah. He's done some good stuff too. I feel like he's been kind of a pinch hitter lately, but when he does like fill in, his his work is generally good. Mm-hmm. No, cool beans. Uh, I obviously I so full disclosure here. I don't read Spider Man. So my brother decided to to get into comics and decided to jump in with Spider Man. Apparently that it's hitting the spot for him. Uh, but I I just feel like so much has happened from the time that I read Spider-Man that it's hard for me to find a comfortable jumping in point. Mm-hmm. So maybe this book, you know, Chip Zdarsky always gets me curious. So maybe this will, uh, this will get me back on the spider train. Okay. Get me back in the web. That's better. I forget. I said anything else. Like get me back in the web, but not the womb. Nick, you have a weird fetus fantasy. I don't want people to forget that. Uh, you know, it started at a very young age, ha, kind of like a conceptual, ha, conceptual, ha, uh, <laughs> you ha, know, stage. That's all I'm giving you. Just, that's your, that's your moment never, right there. Is that sound? Never. Yeah, that never quite shook it. Um, are we recording now? We are recording. We were recording. <laughs> we're recording. Okay. <laughs> Dave was like, "I'm gonna pause the show," and then he never said he was unpausing the show. So oh. I was like. Man, he's using some great material that's not being recorded. Okay, I'll just, I'll just go along with it. Uh... <laughs> um, no, that so that's I mean obviously Spider-Man one of those characters that's been around forever. So mad props to your brother for and I think you told me he's jumping in with the stuff just after Superior Spider-Man. Yep, 
back all in the Parker Industries business. Based when that that started, there was like so there was Superior Spider-Man, and there was like a 15 issue volume that was Peter kind of dealing with the follow of Superior Spider-Man. How I was like, how the heck am I going to run my own company? And it basically ends spoilers with Parker Industries just crumbling to the ground. He gets sabotaged by the Iron Man villain Ghost, and then that's when we get into the post Secret Wars status quo where Parker's industry is back and better than ever, and he's the new Tony Stark. Um, which, if it truly comes to an end, I realize it's not everyone's cup of tea, and it moves further away from, you know, from Peter, like what Peter Parker generally is. But as far as progress goes, at least, at least like under Dan Slott, like Peter had a chance to really move the needle forward as far as progression. So just the fact that like he couldn't, he can't truly learn from his lessons, at least when we're talking about an ongoing narrative that's all supposed to be continuous. It's just like, man, this guy sucks. Like he's super smart and capable and he's, you know, he's the equivalent of like an Olympic level, super Olympic level, you know, like, I mean, he doesn't have like proper training or anything. Well, I guess he does now. He was trained by Shang-Chi, I think a bit, but he just keeps screwing stuff up and usually because of Spider-Man. But anyway, I don't know where I'm going with that. Mad props to your brother, by the way. But uh, yeah, it's hard to know where to like break into Spider-Man at this point. You basically just have to start with whatever the latest volume is. And if you like it, then go play catch-up. So I'll always recommend going back and reading J. Michael Straczynski's Spider-Man run. Start, anyway, at, start at one more day and then just go from there. <laughs> or I guess you could start with Brand New Day, the no. post, you know, there. But Never, never. But, but, but don't. Didn't. What? I was waiting for you to go on with the next news story. Oh, okay. Jeez, all right, all right. we are all over the place here, man. Anyway, uh, DC Comics has announced a new Bane, I guess it's called a Maxi series, Bane Conquest by original co-creators Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan. I believe if I read the article correctly, and everyone knows I don't actually know how to read, so I'm making this up, that uh, they all they had co-created Bane with Doug Monick, also mm-hmm. known for being the co-creator of Moon Knight. I digress. Uh, anyway, Chuck Dixon and Graham Dolan are coming back to DC after uh, some time away um, to take back the character they created and set him off on a new journey in the DCU. Uh, events that are transpiring in this book will fall have fallout or be the result of fallout from the current I Am Bane arc mm-hmm. in Batman. Uh, I get the feeling that the way Chuck Dixon's going to write Bane is a bit more traditional compared to how, and obviously he created him, so he, he must he in a way knows the character best. Um, you know, than the way that um, Tom King's been writing him in the last couple arcs of uh, Batman. So it will be interesting to see. Um, Chuck Dixon and Grendel have been away for a while. Uh, according to the article that we're reading, apparently, uh, according to them, and I don't necessarily disbelieve it, um, they're more on the conservative side when it comes to combo careers. And I guess you want to there's more liberal ones, especially in management. And it's just they, apparently because they weren't afraid to express their views, they found that it was hard to get work, especially from the big two. Looks like DC's rectifying that in a way and, mm-hmm. you know, giving them, I don't know if they're testing them out on Bane or whatever the case may be, but they're back. I've heard a lot of good things about Chuck Dixon's, um, uh, like Nightwing and, and Tim Drake Robin stuff, which I guess would be like the mid nineties or so mm-hmm. of Batman work. Yeah. Uh, he really worked on the characters for a while. And I, I mean, I've heard, I've heard that he really like, he basically set what modern Tim Drake was, if I remember that correctly. And of course, I think he's also more or less responsible for bringing Nightwing a bit out of Batman shadow. Not that he doesn't immediately go right back into Batman shadow and then comes back out and it's all, mm-hmm. Nightwing's got to stand on his own. Yeah. Anyway. Um, 
So this yeah. Book, so yeah. anyway, at the end of the day, they're they're you know from at least the work that I've seen of them, they're both quality creators, and that's you know whether I agree with them or not, that they deserve to be judged on the merit of the work that they execute, and I'm happy to see them back in doing Bane Conquest. Yeah, this will be cool. I didn't. I didn't realize Bane had only been around since like the early nineties. It's one of those things that was kind of tucked in like the back of my brain, you know, mm-hmm. uh, where Bane, you know, Bane broke Batman's back. He's so uh, tied in with the character and probably it makes sense that I guess the nineties, like uh, he's very tied in with the modern interpretation of Batman, you know, kind of moving away from more of the colorful costumed villains and dealing with, a guy who's hyped up on a super drug, but is like a super strong and, and, you know, is, is facing Batman on like a different level. Uh, Bane is a, is a very interesting character that doesn't always get the correct treatment. Some people treat him just as a, a force uh, of, of nature as far as physicality goes, which is true for the character, but he's also like a, a brilliant strategist. He's, he's a very smart guy. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see the original creators come back and to to see what uh, you know what their vision is now uh, for the character if it's changed at all or if they're going to be or if their vision is still so aligned with the original that it's going to feel different from like the bane of the modern era. Uh, and we'll find out in May when this book hits shelves. Speaking of more DC books coming out, because they've announced a few here, Deathstroke will be taking on the Titans and the Teen Titans in a May crossover called The Lazarus Contract. And as Rebirth continues, uh, we are seeing more Deathstroke going on. This event is written jointly by Dan Abnett, Benjamin Percy, and Christopher Priest, with art from Brett Booth, Koi Fam, Carlo, Pagadian, and Paul. I, I lost you it halfway due, through. Sir. You get I lost Car- it halfway Carlos through. Carlos Pagulian. Yep, that's it. Pag- Pagalon, Paul, Paul Pelletier. Mean, there we go. We can say Paul Pelletier. Yeah. Uh, anyway, obviously the name is reminiscent of the Judas Contract storyline from Marv Wolfman and George Perez's new Teen Titans. Uh, which saw Deathstroke trying to bring down the Titans from within. Was that the one that had a uh, Terra? That's the storyline. Terra. Yep. Terra yep. Which this, I... this one looks like it's more about him trying to resurrect his son. I guess hence the Lazarus and Lazarus contract. Yeah, and and the the cover that they show shows you know him fighting them in a graveyard, and uh, Nightwing is standing on top of Grant Wilson's grave. Uh, I have not been keeping up with the deathstroke series that's out so i don't know I've heard really good things about yeah, it. yeah i really want to read it so i don't like know everything that's going on there um mm-hmm. but this i mean this actually makes me want to get caught up on it you know i've been a little lukewarm on teen titans i'm not caught up you know i haven't read titans at all uh i'm obviously behind on deathstroke but this seems really interesting this is this is the kind of crossover event that i want uh Mm -hmm. where it's not like here's everybody fighting everyone it's like hey it you know it's going to cross over a few issues and in this one it makes like it makes a lot of sense like sometimes they're like hey we're going to have these two characters cross over so you have to like force yourself to buy you know all of the issues even though you probably would never read this other superhero 
Like this one just feels a little more natural. Like, hey, you're, you know, there's a good chance if you're picking up Titans that you're already reading Teen Titans and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe even Deathstroke. Uh, this will be, this will be, I think, pretty neat. It's, it seems to be shaping up to be cool. I think it's kind of what the, uh, the Teen Titans and Titans franchise needs right now man those names are kind of annoying to say back to back in a way that is differentiating them teen teen titans titans teen, tiny titans tine, teen tight titans oh man someone should do the tween titans nope i'm already out hard pass tween writing this down no you give me a call tween titans nick no you can't get unle- the mega bucks you can't unleash that upon the world why would you do that I just I want everyone to know, and I say this with the utmost sincerity, but know that deep down I am a good person. I am okay <laughs> with selling out. Okay with selling out. Why are I'm we okay all like let's with, let's leave. Just, there is a price on selling out and I will match that price. And by match it I mean I will take the minimum amount of money it will take to get me to sell out. What I mean is that somebody please pay you to sell out. That what so a lot of times when we call people sellouts, they're doing exactly what we wish we could because we would love to sell millions of records and millions of books and movies and blah blah blah. Anyway, I digress. Uh, moving on. Um, this is interesting. Speaking of selling out, <laughs> Warner Brothers is apparently courting, 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 That's courting goodness. Mel Gibson for Suicide Squad Two. You heard that correctly, people. Everything we just said is true. Uh, Yeah, normally I don't like to report on rumors or, you know, like reportedly this person is thinking about doing this. However, Reportedly reporting a report. Ha-ha. But yeah, go continue. However, this storyline is so, like this story is just so interesting. It just just begs to be talked about. Uh, man, Mel Gibson, who remember in the early 2000s had such a fall from the, the public graces that it seemed like, well, his career is done. Uh, and then he like starts putting out pretty good films that he's directing. And, you know, Hacksaw Ridge is, is being uh, as a contender for, for best picture. People are mm-hmm. loving that movie. And, uh, and I know that he you know he said that batman v superman was and uh, and to quote i apologize uh for sensitive listeners out there but he called it a piece of shit and uh, i would love if dc and warner brothers saw this of like okay look there's some there's some filmmakers who are who are kind of the hotness right now who are kind of like bashing on our stuff let's extend the invitation to them uh mm-hmm. hey you don't think what we did was good? Come in, do it better. Then, like, let's let. I, I would love if that was an attitude that was had. <laughs> I I feel I don't feel confident that it'll end with Mel Gibson directing Suicide Squad two. Me either. Um, you know, I haven't. Besides, like, I've seen like the trailers of his movies, and I've heard good things. Like, I mean, I way back when I saw The Passion of the Christ, and I mean, like, it was it was kind of a slasher fic with Jesus. Um, uh, but okay. I don't know. I mean, obviously, like, it's try, trying to pay, portray it in a realistic way. Like, it's for me, one, it's been such a long time. Now that I'm thinking about it, I think that's the only directed Mel Gibson movie I can think of seeing. Um, you know, and I remember it being good. Just, I think I was overwhelmed with 
obviously the subject matter that I wasn't like focusing on the overall structural quality of the film. But anyway, obviously this guy has a flair for visuals and movies are a hundred percent visuals. Um, so he'll probably have that down pat if he does get selected. I, I mean, I remember growing up and when I mean growing up, I mean at an appropriate age that I first watched these films, like the lethal weapons films. So Mel Gibson's kind of like this guy, like my mom was big into like the main male actors of her time. So I grew up with like Clint Eastwood uh, Kevin Costner, Mel Gibson, these guys. So, I mean, I had like a soft spot for their movies. Um, obviously, when he kind of started shouting anti-Semitic stuff while drunk, mm-hmm. it uh, dampened my, his appeal a bit. Um, but, I mean, I don't really know what his stances are now or if he's had a change of heart or what the case may be. But at the end of the day, if he gets, if he gets, if he's the director of Suicide Squad 2, I'll probably still end up seeing it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd probably see it regardless of who was directing it, unless it looked like a complete bag of garbage upon the first trailer. No, yeah, abs- absolutely agree. It's just, this story is so fascinating to me, and maybe it's not true, but I hope that, you know, I hope there's something to it. It could just be a thing of like, hey, because this actually happens a lot more. Here's a little bit of like Hollywood secret stuff where like studios will start announcing that they've they're you know they're talking to one director or one actor for a movie because they actually have their eye on someone else and they mm. want that person to be like what no I'm supposed to do that and like they, they scramble to come back to it one thing we know for sure uh is that David Ayer is not doing the project that's I mean that's obviously something kind of implied but it's actually at this point where it is not um not like happening at all like it's not even an option because apparently he's doing an all-female dc villains movie gotham city sirens that i just learned about like today neither neither here nor there i think that is about going to do it. i don't know how much else we have to say on this wonderful uh news that mel gibson will be directing uh suicide squad 2 as well I, mean, I wrote as... a book on it while you were talking yeah I have this whole i have i have a lot of great excerpts that we can read from uh-huh. discussing it but and uh he will also he will also be directing justice league too <laughs> and uh i imagine uh that the free willy reboot will also be under the mel gibson helm so look for that in theaters 2018 cannot wait for the free willy reboot it like it, it, it's time it's right coming. like the it's like we're primed for it though can it be a whale in this day and age no they would use a cgi whale i cannot see them using no no i'm I'm saying like i feel like because there's been a lot of of attention on like hey we got to stop capturing these whales like yeah cool i get that but i feel like now it's going to be like like willie is a chicken and we gotta like free willie because like this is like this is a this is a, a a message for free range eggs is where we're going is it? Because I was, I thought you were going in like a penis joke direction. No, what the? What is with you, Nicholas? I, I, I'm sorry. A chicken named Willie that you're trying to free. It's the, the, it the same thing. Ap- writes, the same thing applies it. when it's a whale. How does it? How do you mix up a penis and a whale? Because <laughs> that could be the episode title. Because there's be one the called episode. like a sperm whale, and I feel like yeah, that... a sperm whale is free Willie a sperm whale, David. Or is he a killer wheel? Let's go. And penis is killed. Well, you were talking over the clip, so now I have to play it again. Jeez. Jeez. We're going to talk about comic books now. To the Batmobile. Let's go. All right. 
We're going to talk about stuff that's happening this week, happening in the now. you got to live in the now, people. And we're going to start off by Nick telling us about the Wildstorm number one. Yes, David. The Wildstorm number one by Warren Ellis Stop and that John voice. Davis. Stop that voice right now. I don't know how to go back to my regular voice. What okay, I, there it is. What do I sound like? <laughs> the Wildstorm number one by Warren Ellis and John Davis Hunt. Um, for those that don't know, the Wildstorm is in reference to the Wildstorm imprint uh, that was created, or I guess created slash co-created by Jim Lee back in the 90s when a bunch of artists left um, uh, Marvel and joined up and created Image Comics. Uh, so they all had like their own imprints under the Image Comics banner. But eventually, Jim Lee moved the imprint and sold it to DC. And obviously, Jim Lee was the most successful thing to come out of the Wildstorm imprint because he is co-publisher of DC Comics now. Um, But for those that also don't know, back when DC rebooted for the New 52, they merged elements of the Wildstorm universe into it and and basically shuttered the imprint itself. Um, This is... um, them basically retaking it to be their own thing set in their own universe but it is a true reboot uh, as established by warren ellis again for those that don't know warren ellis while not an original creator of the wildstorm universe came in i want to say in the late 90s definitely the early 2000s um and basically redefined the run this was kind of a run where depending on how you look back at the 90s they were really like the extreme edge comics of the 90s where everyone's name was death blood strike something death blood strike um and you know he kind of came in and warren else being the you know somewhat introspective intelligent you know and far-reaching writer that he is you know really dug deep into some of like the covert espionage you know tactical or like sort of um basically dealing with how the 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 underworld, so to speak deals with a superhero universe so they went from being the heavily pouched uh, overly muscled um, super beings to you know where you got planetary and the authority and the or the later Stormwatch and then the authority uh, and he really defined what superhero comics could be for a generation like the stuff that was happening at Wildstorm around the time that Warren Ellis was working on it um, you know really led to the to inspiration for things like the Ultimates um, you know which in turn went back and redefined the regular Marvel universe and I'm sure even the DC universe. All I'm really trying to say here is that this book is going back to basics, back to day one, and Warren Ellis is reintroducing all these characters, some with uh, slightly modified skin, some maybe a little bit closer to what they were. Um, but again, digging into the power play between advanced corporations and covert intelligence agencies and how it's all been bubbling underneath the surface, but as far as the general populace has felt, it's just like the world that you and I live in. Um and the first issue does a lot to introduce or reintroduce a lot of popular Wildstorm characters like Zealot, Deathblow, Voodoo, and Engineer. If that means nothing to you, uh, pick up the book and then maybe it will. Um, it names drops other things like the Wildcats, which was like their like the Wildstorm flash, flagship book. Uh, Grifter, who's that guy that wears like a napkin on his face. Um, it's uh, that's yeah, true. It's he does. Stuff. That's entirely <laughs> accurate. He. And, and yet it still looks completely badass and no one knows why um it's good it's a good issue it really and again kind of going back to the ultimates and like the ultimate universe this is the ultimization of Wildstorm. so it's you know it starts off being very very rooted in a, in a modern aesthetic 
Um, and then just obviously immediately goes batshit crazy from there with Angela Sp- Spica, I guess. She, she's the, alt, uh, the alter ego of the character known as the Engineer, where she basically has like a biological Iron Man suit that covers her body. Um, she saves a guy in broad daylight and that, I mean, this is basically the premise of the first issue. I, I still recommend going out and reading it, but clearly that's like the inciting incident. This is the, for lack of a better term, it's like the, it's, it's the paradigm shift, you know, where the world is one way and now it's another great Nick. You just define paradigm. I'm sure they were smart enough to figure it out. <laughs> I'm sorry, David, but the way that your face is currently positioned with your microphone just makes your expression. <laughs> Very funny. Uh, no one else will ever be able to see that. I should have taken a screenshot. I am so sorry, world. Yeah, um, thanks for wasting everyone's time with that one. <laughs> anyway, um, it's it's a do-over. It's a great do-over. Um, it's basically starting. He's not only is he writing the first or a, the 24 issues of this book, The Wild Storm, he's curating much in the same way that Gerard Way is curating the young animal imprint for DC. So I know at least one of the other upcoming books is a book based on Deathblow, where it's going to use his regular name, Michael Cray. That's Cray. Um, but at the end of the day, I think if you're a fan of The Wild Storm of old, old, and this is a book that could really go either way for you, it's definitely trying something new with the material. So if you want something that's more 90s, you're not going to get it. But um, obviously, if you're a big Warren Ellis fan and you like to see you know, things reimagined in new ways, I think the book does it very well. Of course, we're only dealing with the first issue here, but there was enough there that makes me want to come back and see more. Uh, very cool. I uh, may not check that stuff out, but it's cool to hear that it is It is good, good stuff. I... This week, I checked out a book that I was actually behind on and decided, hey, I want to talk about it on the podcast, so I'm going to get caught up, and that is Kill or Be Killed from Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Uh, issue number six came out this week. So this is, uh, for those who do not remember, who are unfamiliar, Kill or Be Killed follows the story of a guy named Dylan who... Or Killer B. The way you said killer be killed. Anyway, uh, a guy named Dylan. Yeah, I said killer be killed. What? I, I was saying killer B. Oh, right. Okay. Wait, wait. Yeah. Killer, killer. No, thank uh, you. A guy named thank Dylan. Guy, guy a named guy Dylan. named Dylan. Stop, uh, stop interrupting yourself. Should have died. Uh, got really sick. Uh, and this demon came to him and is like, hey, if you want to extend your life, then you got to start killing bad people. And so... Six issues in, that's become something that he did. You know, the first guy that he killed, and just I'm going to be talking spoilers about the series, uh, people, so heads up. Uh, his first killer, you know, ended up being that this guy had a whole child pornography ring. Uh, then he killed this other guy who was poisoning a bunch of dogs. Uh, he kills a, a Russian mobster who helps run the strip club. Uh, and then... In the issue previous to this one, his latest kill is the one of the guys behind Enron. Because one thing they're doing with this series, which is really interesting, is they're taking like relevant storylines that we've heard about. Like the, the poisoning dogs thing was actually a news story I remember hearing about. He poisoned the dogs on his neighborhood because he was tired of all the barking. And, you know, obviously the Enron guy, a real guy. We hear about the, like, the weird you know child pornography thing very unfortunate but that kind of stuff happens like they're working hard to make this 
kind of have a real world bent to it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in, in some ways taking direct actual headlines, in some ways making up ones that sound very plausible, while mixing in this whole storyline of a demon that actually may or may not exist. Because uh, one thing about Dylan also is that his father is an artist or was an artist and did some very, uh, you know, very otherworldly in ways very erotic art and one of them someone's looking through that and they put it down and you see it's like all these women uh dancing in sort of like a hell landscape and the demon that he envisions is in this landscape so is he actually just a crazy person and this this demon is a figment of his imagination that he's using to justify these things happening to him but he was actually sick and then got better when he killed someone like what is going on there anyway Issue six, issue six, we see the actually sort of uh, the culmination of some of his events. Um, he nearly kills a cop uh, sort of at the end of last issue leading into this issue, uh, which, of course, gets the attention of, of the New York City Police Department. Uh, and this issue kind of explores them catching on to the story and also uh, hints at the fact that the Russian mob is very upset at him for what he has done and they have their own want of revenge. So, you know, now we're seeing sort of the storyline take a little bit more shape. We kind of have, uh, we, you know, the, the, the conflict was like this man versus self sort of thing, man versus, uh, delusion sort of thing. But now, you know, we're seeing the greater conflict, uh, where if they're going to ground some of these things in reality, there has to be the reality of, hey, he's being hunted. He has enemies uh, of the people he's killed and in the police department, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is, is actually very interesting. Um, I was very, I don't want to say I was lukewarm. I guess I was a little unsure in the first few issues. Uh, and maybe now it's just because a little more time has passed. I'm a little more separated from the more traditional noir stuff. Uh, Ed Brute Baker and Sean Phillips, more traditional noir stuff, that I'm just kind of letting this be what it is in a very positive way, uh, that I'm enjoying it a lot more. And it could be, too, that they need a little bit of time to to shake off the dust and to embrace what it is they're working on here. Um, it, I'm not sure... You know, it kind of feels like with the with the revelations here that like, hey, this is this is stuff that's going to kind of come to a head at some point kind of soon. Uh, but the way that this Russian mobster stuff is set up is he kind of has an interaction with a Russian guy and then says in a commentary, like in a, in a um, you know, cause it still has like the narration from the main character. Cause they can't really shake that. Uh, that's kind of one of their staples. Um, but it has like a narration from him and he says, uh, I wouldn't realize for a long time that my cab driver was Russian and by the time that becomes relevant, you will have forgotten that detail too. So either they're expecting like, you're going to forget that in an issue or two because, you know, they take months to come out or it's like, Hey, we have a long-term plan for this. And by the time that's relevant mm-hmm. again, like so much other stuff is going to have happened. And I don't, I don't know what like the truth of that is. Um, it, it you know, I, I don't know where this is going to go. And that's probably a good thing where I can't, I'm not predicting the next couple beats here. Mm. Uh, they're going to kind of twist and turn me around. And I'm very interested in, in, into seeing how that happens. I have great faith in this creative team. I think 
so kind of just summarizing thoughts here. Uh, I think they are, um, they are being much more solid in this storyline. Um, they, they, you know, they've, they figured out what they want to do a little bit more and, and things moving forward are being very strong. Um, I don't think that's a good sentence that I just said there. Sean Phillips art is still, you know, it's Sean Phillips art. It's, it's great stuff. You gotta, you gotta get in on it. Um, I will say that there are times where his facial expressions, and I've probably said this about other issues as well. His facial expressions are not the best. Uh, and that, but that's, you know, that's the weakest thing in this. And really, if I just have problems with some facial expressions every once in a while, what's, what's the big deal? Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's real good stuff, guys. Solid. If I had to give things a rating as they are, I would say it's probably a solid B moving its way up into an A as a series. But now Nick and I are going to talk about a book that I'm very excited to talk about. We have been uh, both. Well, I've been looking forward to this book. Nick is placating me in our discussion this week of Super Sons number one by Peter Damasi and Jorge Jimenez. Nick, what happened in this book? Well, David, a lot happened in this book. It uh, started with... um, Just pulling my issue back up. Here you go. Love them digitals. And basically, it it, it sets the tone. I mean, for people that have been reading, obviously, Batman for years now, but also the more recent uh, issues, or the the latest Superman volume, and I guess Action Comics to an extent, uh, Peter Tomasi has been setting up the the Damian Wayne and Jonathan Kent dynamic, Jonathan Kent being the son of the pre new 52 Superman. Um, and this book basically puts them front and center, um, with a great variant cover by, uh, Dustin Nguyen. Yes. Um, but more or less the, the, what goes on in the book, the book is, you know, Damien's 13 and obviously he's a skilled assassin and all that so like he can kind of operate autonomously even though Batman tries to keep him under on a tight leash Jonathan Kent well he has his own little outfit and all that like I'm sure Clark and uh, Lois do not want him just you know flying off and about and fighting bad guys you know without adult assistance at the very least but even then he's only supposed to be like 10-ish years old uh, they even make I've mentioned a book I think he's, um, he's 13 he's, now well, Damien's 13. Oh, Damien's Damien 13. does make a comment in the book that he's older. So he could, uh, okay. I mean, he could be a younger 13, but I was going with the vibe that he's okay. I, you, I, I, between sorry, 10 and 12. I, I forgot that you were talking about John, Jonathan. John, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Damien is, Damien is older. Um, but obviously the, the purpose of this book is to establish the what will presumably be the enduring brotherhood between the two of them. But in the meantime, Damien is a dick, uh, and Jonathan is a goody two-shoes. And they make a great team in the sense that they don't make much of a team at all. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of funny. It's basically um, Jonathan kind of going about his regular day when he realizes that Damien has been impersonating various people like the bus driver and a substitute teacher in order to follow him and understand the way that he lives. Yeah, see how the um, other half lives, I think, as he puts it. Yeah. Uh, and bits like that work, I mean, kind of stretches the credu- cre- credibility a little bit, but I'm going to go with it. Um, obviously they also play up John's characters as being the son of Superman. So when he sees injustice, he feels like he has to intervene. Yeah. I really um, liked that, that, that like, 
an injustice in in his world is some kids bullying another kid uh and even kind of having that that moment of testing where later on those bullies come back and they're trying to do a snowball fight and hey they've packed rocks in their snowball and uh he's real tempted to use his powers for a moment there but then but then doesn't and you know we don't get to see how he's going to to resolve this problem because you know you have Damian Wayne coming in with a giant snowball from the roof, which I don't know how he found the time to pack that. Uh, like, was he like just... as if it was all going to happen? Yeah. Like he predicted like he, it. He had, he had planned this from the entire day. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing the, the slight variations in parenting style between uh, Batman and Superman, where uh, you had, uh, you know, the Kents at a nice little family dinner, um, all together discussing their day and uh really all you kind of saw from batman was uh you know there's damien kind of training and then he kind of gets denied going on patrol and bruce is like well you gave me your word you were gonna do your uh academics you didn't so your punishment is you don't get to go beat up bad guys and uh it's it's not like you know because when when superman went off on patrol he like kissed his family goodbye and was like i'm out of here Batman is like, do your homework later, losers, because that's like how I imagine Batman is in my head. Um, I I think this book had a did a good job of showing like showing the differences like that without being super on the nose and overstated about it. You didn't have, and you might later, but you didn't have the kids though, like sitting down being like, well, my dad didn't say this nice thing to me. It was just like, you know, it it was shown. It was that that old writing rule of show don't tell mm-hmm. done um very well and i really really enjoyed the um the page of superman getting ready to leave for you know for his superheroing work where there's like on one side there's him kissing his wife goodbye and then there's one he's giving his like he's you know kissing his son goodbye and then there's like that big shot of him flying in the middle of the panel and there's like cards flying everywhere. Kind of like the chaos of a superhero suddenly taking off in this. Domestic get little door, scene. Yeah. 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 The book, it does. I feel like it does take a bit to get going. Like, I mean, obviously this is the super sun's number one. So they spend the majority of the time establishing their interior lives a little bit. And then obviously the dynamic between each other. And just when you think the story's getting going, like they're sneaking somewhere, they're immediately beset upon a classic Superman villain, um, which it'll be interesting to see, especially given the status quo of this particular Superman villain, like how that interaction is going to um, play out. Especially because like, when you do think about like, like the, the children of Batman and Superman, it's just a weird thing to kind of, like if you try to project it onto like how would this actually happen if this was the real world, you know, it's... Obviously, there, there's, a, there's, there's a certain level of suspending the disbelief to make this book work. I will say I love the homage to The Dark Knight Returns with them swinging and leaping uh-huh. through Metropolis, set to the, um, the lightning-struck background yeah. and the, the black silhouette. That, that was pretty funny. Um, overall, I thought Jorge Jimenez's artwork was good. Um, I like cartoony. There's some... I think like his overall... like It's not one of my favorite styles, but he clearly has... It shows that he has a talent. He's doing it his way, which mm-hmm. is fine. I thought it worked uh, really well for this book. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely capturing the kids and they're scrawny and awkward and prepubescent. Though Damien should probably be hitting be puberty at some a, point. 
should be at some point. He's going to be like 18 and still be a runt and talk like this. Well, um, apparently, apparently in the Injustice universe, he was Nightwing. I don't know, man. Uh, the Injustice universe, he gets killed. Dude, the way Dick gets killed. Everybody gets killed in that universe, but that's neither here nor there. I also really enjoyed like the the banter between the two boys as Nick is Googling this piece of information that we obviously need in our lives right now. Um, but, Sorry, Damien killed Dick Grayson and then adopted his identity. Right. Cool. Awesome. Uh, but, it, you know, you kind of mentioned the fact that, like, Damien's like, I'm older, to which Jonathan uh, Kent or Jonathan White responds, well, I'm taller, which, like, in kid hierarchy, yes, that does determine some level of authority, you know, even though they're being surrounded by robots that look like Robin? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I totally forgot about that opening scene. It's just like clearly that's right that that's taking place in the future, and that we're leading up to it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, there's no, there's Robin and oh, is there Robin and Superboy and robots? Jonathan and, and Superboy robots, which makes me think they're leading up to them meeting the uh, Japanese kid version of Toy Man. Oh, is that a thing? Yeah, well, back in the when Jeff Loeb and Ed McGinnis was doing Superman, Batman, way back in the day, with like the Public Enemies arc, it led to them meeting the new Toy Man, who was like a Japanese Wonder Kid. Oh man! Uh, and being a giant composite Superman, Batman robot. The anyway. Public Enemies arc is one of the most bromantic storylines in any comic book series. Of I all do time. like the opening of that arc, though, where it like it, it juxtaposes between Superman and Batman's origins and what their their modus operandi is. It's it, you know it's a little on the nose, but it works. It's executed really well. Yeah, yeah, it's been forever since I've read it, so I don't remember it too terribly clearly at this moment. Uh, overall, though, would you say solid opener? Are you going to be continuing on this book? Um, maybe. I might at least do another issue just to get a feel for it. I Tomasi has written some of my favorite comics from the last decade. Um, I feel like his work hasn't thrilled me as much in recent years, um, but certainly whenever he collaborates with Patrick Gleason, I usually try to check it out. Um, but I mean, it's I'm glad to have the the the, the boys together and, and doing what they do, and it's I'll be really curious to see how the book plays out in the long run. What about you, mm-hmm. David? I think I'm definitely in on this book um, and maybe a little bit before this book came out, I was like, yeah, I'm totally going to read it. But I, reading this issue, they were hitting like all the right beats for me to want to stay on. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to see how this all pans out and I'll, I'll definitely be on for this first arc, probably beyond hopefully it's, it doesn't get revealed that this is going to be a mini series quote unquote as happens to so many wonderful books. I mean, DC tends to let books kind of stay, uh, go have them go on a bit longer, even when there's not um, the readership. Like, even like with it, the yeah. finances, so to speak, the budget to keep them going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'll definitely check it out. And if Nick tires of it, then I'll probably be talking about future issues right here on the Heck Yeah Comics podcast. Which, uh, which I guess we're going to start bringing to an end pretty shortly here, but not before we talk about some recommendations. And in order to talk about those, I need to play a little sound clip that 
sounds like this. You boys aren't nerds, are you? Art. You boys aren't oh, nerds, no. are ah, you? Oh, played it twice on accident. We'll see if I can make that. Nah, it's, that's going to stay in. Let's be honest with ourselves here. Nick, what do you have to recommend to us this week? Well, so, uh, well, I will always, you know, I'll definitely recommend this game in, in sort of a loose sense. Uh, I did beat The Last of Us last weekend, which I know is a game that's been out for a while, uh, since 2013. I was playing the remastered version, but I had to stick, uh, <laughs> keep it closer to comics. Uh, I also, in the result of being super absorbed into The Last of Us world, downloaded the, um, on Comicsology, the Last of Us American Dreams miniseries that was co-written by uh, Neil uh, Druckmann, I believe is his name, from uh, who was the uh, creator or co-creator of The Last of Us, the games, uh, and uh, Faith Aaron Hicks, who also did the art for the book. And it follows, takes place before the events of the game, basically introducing us to the friendship between, um, uh, oh my gosh, Ellie and Riley, who Riley you never meet in the main game. You do hear about her and how important she is to Ellie. Uh, and then if you've played the DLC for the game called Left Behind, then you actually get to see them interact basically um, in the days just prior to the actual start of the twenty, the, the beginning of the 20-year period or the end of the 20-year period between the prologue of the game and the main events of the game. Anyway, I guess I could have just said it was right before the main events of the game. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, it, it follows with their friendship. So, I, I mean, I would certainly wouldn't recommend this book if you haven't played the game, but if you maybe have played The Last of Us and really enjoyed it and don't want to wait until the second game comes out to get a little bit more of the story, then check out The Last of Us American Dreams, again, by Neil Druckmann and Faith Aaron Hicks. Um, and you get to learn a little bit more about Ellie and her friend Riley, and it, it was good stuff. I mean, you definitely could see the flavor of being that, uh, Druckmann was co-writing it. I'm assuming he did a lot of the script writing as well for the game. Um, the dialogue felt very much The Last of Us, but also like, not only was, and I'm sure Faith Aaron Hicks did a lot of heavy lifting here because it's a not as familiar uh, format um, that Druckmann might be used used to, but it carried over to the comic format very well. Um, it's just it, it was just an overall very enjoyable book, and so for fans of The Last of Us, if this fell into your radar, check it out. Very cool. I remember when those came out, but I did not read them, so maybe it's time. I am recommending this week a, well, you know, I'm still really busy at work. We still have our extended hours going on, so I'm working a whole bunch. I don't really have time for a lot of uh, a lot of comics and all that right now, but one thing that I've, I've found the time for uh, is this new mobile game that came out called Fire Emblem Heroes. Oh, gosh. What? But, uh, don't no, no, keep going. Okay, no. so Fire Emblem, uh, for those who are unaware, uh, is a series of, um, re- I guess, real-time strategy. I think that's the name of it. I don't know if these ones count as that, but yeah, it's, it's a strategy game where you have um, a board, kind of a top-down view on like a map, and then you have a certain number of characters that you can move along this map and have them attack the enemy characters. Uh, obviously, I'm probably not making it sound super-duper exciting, but I highly recommend that people check this game out. It's a mobile game, uh, so, you know, there's there's elements to it of you can only play... You, you know, you can only have four people on a team, 
uh, but you can build multiple teams. There's ways to get heroes. Obviously, there are consumable items that you can get uh, through playing the game and ones that you can spend money on, but it doesn't pressure you to spend money, which I really appreciate. It's not like, oh, hey, you know, you could summon some more heroes if you had some more of these orbs, and, you know, you can buy, like, 12 orbs for five ninety nine if you act right now. It's just kind of like, okay, you're out of orbs. You can, you know, go play some more and get some more. Uh, it does have the whole, like, you know, you can only play for a certain amount of time thing because you have, like, the stamina indicator. Uh, but the stamina indicator is pretty large, and I have yet to have it run out on me. If it ran out on me, I would probably would get to the point where I'm like, well, I've been playing this for several straight hours, so yeah, I should take a break. Thanks, game. <laughs> uh, it's really enjoyable. The, the matches don't take too long, at least at the point that I'm at, so it's a real nice little time filler. Uh, and it, like, there's some variety to it and strategy to it, which is nice in a mobile game. Uh, I'm sure I won't be playing it for more than a few weeks, but it, I'm liking it a lot right now, and uh, there's there's just a lot of options and variety into it that, you know, I think if you're kind of tired of, of the usual sort of like endless runners or other uh, dumb mobile games, this one will kind of break up the monotony and give you some new stuff to try out. And, of course, if you're a fan mm. of the Fire Emblem games, then you're probably already playing this and I don't have to say anything. Uh, so you can go ahead and email me your friend codes people, but this is pretty much going to bring us right to the end of the show. Nick, do you have anything else that you want to say to the kind, kind people? Be kind to others and to others. Be kind to you. Wait, how does that, that doesn't even make, what? That doesn't even make sense. Isn't that like a biblical thing? Have others, others as you, have others be kind to you? You can't control their actions. You can in my totalitarian version of Bible verses. <laughs> no, Nick, no. We don't need those emails. But we <laughs> Any, <laughs> anyway, no, David, I don't have anything relevant to say. But we do want your regular happy time emails, and you can send those over to heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. And you can find us over at heckyeahcomics.com. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at heckyeahcomics. You can find me on Twitter, Snapchat, and the Instagrams under the username DavLuz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. And also on Geek Cinema Society, a podcast I'm also on that I don't talk about that often with the Blazing Caribou Network. We should check that out as well. You can find Nick having really just just disturbing fetus fantasies that I think he needs to pay somebody to talk about and, and get his mind off of that. I am going to regret ever mentioning this. Yes. But as always, folks, you can catch the show next week. Same heck yeah time. Same heck yeah channel. Until then, goodbye.
worst episode ever.